this is peculiar for a lot of people to uh, have us meeting on uh, Wednesday night. Thank you, Daniel. So, new change for us, but uh, many things um, facilitated it, and now, as I was sharing with others, it's, uh, I'm very grateful that we've uh, done this and made this change. So, 6 o'clock on Wednesday nights from now on, that's our midweek service, and uh, we encourage people to invite others. It's funny because normally everybody sits over on this side, and and tonight you guys have all sat on this side, so that that's cool. It's uh, changing, uh, truly changing the guard, going from uh, um, Thursday nights to uh, Wednesday nights. So Second Timothy is where we're going to be, and uh, we're starting out in chapter one. This is the introduction and uh, our first study in Second Timothy. Let's pray, and then we'll. Take a look at the word together. Father, I thank you for your word. Um, it is uh, so necessary for us and uh, so helpful to us. I pray that you would work in each of our hearts and speak to our spirit, our soul, our body uh, this evening. That um, this would uh, build us up and uh, Strengthen us for love and good deeds, as your your word says. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, Paul is uh, going to write this letter uh, to Timothy. Um, probably what is most difficult about 2 Timothy is Paul knows he's about to die. Um, he was in prison uh, when he's written previously, but he was released, and he was out for um, maybe as much as five years, three to five years, he was out, uh, re-arrested, and uh, now uh, going to give up his life for uh, the sake of the gospel, uh, because of his preaching the word of God. He's going to talk about how he's being poured out, and how Things are coming to an end. Uh, you know, I think it's important for us to really think about um, if we. Paul doesn't know w when they're going to execute him. He just knows they're going to execute him. Uh, and you know, you consider uh, what that would be like for you to be in a, a horrendous prison. And no, your life is going to end at any moment. Uh, literally, uh, the guards' footsteps could be coming to your cell, and that could be the end of your life. It may be days or weeks or months, but you know that you're not ever leaving this prison again, and uh, your life is uh, going to be sacrificed for Christ. So, you know, it isn't just some kind of like hopelessness like the world has of just losing your life. It's the sacrifice for the ministry. But, you know, what would you be considering? Who would you be thinking about? You know, if you're writing letters, what letters would you be writing at that point? So this letter to Timothy comes from the heart of a man who 
is, uh, you know, Paul's disciple. He's been trained uh, in ministry by Paul. The, the things that he has shared, uh, Timothy has lived by and worked with and uh, applied to his personal life and the work of the Lord in his life. Just really tremendous things. When Paul talks about uh, the tears uh, that Timothy uh, is uh, shedding, verse 4, mindful of your tears, um, this is you know a real depth of, of relationship that uh, is in its final chapters, is in its final uh, sentences, as it were. The Mamertine prison where he is right now is just unthinkably horrendous. Um, people died literally from lack of oxygen, uh, where uh, the conditions were so unsanitary, the decomposition that was filling uh, the atmosphere on more than one occasion killed not only inmates, there is a recorded occasion where guards went to re retrieve men out of, when they say dungeon, literally whole that they would open up and just throw somebody down inside it. They opened the hole up to retrieve the prisoner and the gaseous fumes coming up out of it killed the guards that were going to retrieve prisoners out of there. This is a horrendous state of existence that Paul is writing from. And yet, um, you know, you're going to hear things from him that are like amazingly spiritual and lofty. Uh, during this, he's he's not he's not like me or maybe you, but definitely you know where the going gets tough and I just start whining, you know, and just complaining about why I don't have, you know, some luxury or something. Paul is um, in the depths of what would, by nature, cause despair, and uh, he is encouraging Timothy and thereby encouraging us. It is a personal letter, right? We we have you know the Corinthians and the Thessalonian letters and others uh, that have a broader application to the church. Uh, this is very specific, very personal uh, to Timothy. Um, we can assume the way it's written that uh, you know it has application to the church, and Timothy and Paul both intended for it to be used and perhaps even read. But it, it's a uh, you know mentor writing to his disciple, writing to his pupil uh, about where he's at personally in in ministry, spiritually where he's at in growth. So there, there's just a tremendous amount of depth uh, in all of this. When you begin in verse one and it says, "Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life." which is in Christ Jesus. Um, that is probably written for uh, a lot of reasons. Paul's apostleship has been called into question, particularly by the church at Corinth, as he has ministered to them. There have been corrupting elements inside the church that have caused them to question whether Paul was an apostle at all. He writes uh, both, both in First and Second Corinthians in defense of his own calling, his own ministry, his own apostleship. Um, I 
take into light the whole atmosphere of Paul's imprisonment and impending execution, and I wonder if Paul isn't to some degree writing this to convince and encourage himself, you know, you know, you 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 make choices, you make commitments, and then you have to realize how hard and how difficult they are and what it's going to actually cost you. And you begin to wonder if you've heard from the Lord, whether you're actually doing the will of God, um, you know, as you're being ground out in the process. And uh, here, as Paul is saying this, I think he knows these things. But I think at least, I mean, maybe the whole of why he says that is is to remind himself, convince himself, encourage himself. But I think it's safe to say that some percentage of it is that, that, that he's having to look at, you know, <laughs> the Mamertine prison and any time now they're going to cut my head off. You know, uh, I am here because of Jesus Christ. I'm not here because I'm a failure. I'm not here because, you know, I took a wrong turn somewhere along the way. This this is the will of God, right? He, he says that elsewhere when he says, I am a prisoner by the will of Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Not Rome, not, uh, you know, for any other purpose. I'm here uh, because of what the Lord has called me to. He says in verse 2, To Timothy, a beloved son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, he gets very um, nostalgic about family uh, in this spiritual family and physical family as he addresses this letter talking uh, in just a couple of verses about Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, talking here about uh, Timothy being a beloved son. Um, what must it be like to know you're going to be executed and to be writing to someone who is a son in the faith? There's, he's probably struggling at this point to keep the tears off from the paper, you know, to not mess up the ink as, as he's writing out these final words uh, to this young man that he loves so much. Um, standard greetings of grace and peace, the Greek culture which dominates the world, the Jewish culture, which is the central portion of Paul's life and Timothy's life, uh, the, the Greek term of grace, the Jewish term of peace when you would greet someone, including in both the letters to Titus and Timothy, he includes mercy. Grace and peace is the usual standard. Here, grace, mercy, and peace to Timothy. I think that anyone who is serious and deep about ministry has to recognize how much grace is involved with their being in ministry. How much mercy is involved in being in ministry. You know, we often talk about the qualifications of a minister. 
worship leader, youth pastor, whatever, qualifications of someone serving in ministry. In that, there's sort of an implication like you could be um, qualified or not qualified. You, you could be justified. Not In the end, none of us is deserving. Right? There's, there's, there, you don't ever, you know, realistically look at the ministry and say, of course I should be in the ministry. I mean, look at me, you know. I, I, that, that's just a really, really arrogant approach to the thing. I mean, you can recognize, okay, God's given me certain gifts. God's given me certain abilities. But, I mean, in the end, it is the grace and the mercy of God that allows any of us to serve him. In, in any capacity at all. You know, I, I should uh, really qualify, you know, what does it mean to be, you know, qualified for the ministry? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're qualified for the ministry, okay? You know, I, I've been teaching out of Matthew recently at uh, CRD, and uh, we've been talking about how the apostles are, are constantly you know, edging for who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And, you know, James and John incorporate their mother into coming and kneeling down before Jesus and requesting that they be given, you know, the right hand and the left hand, uh, you know, of authority when they, you know, when Jesus enters his kingdom. They're always jockeying for whatever uh, they can get. Again, the idea of none of us is qualified, but at the same time, all of us is qualified by Jesus Christ's blood. So with that, I gave the illustration, listening to Chuck Smith for all these years, uh, several times he talks about how um, uh, he developed a skill of driving around in his car in the church parking lot with the door open and, and just going by piles of trash and picking them up and throwing them into his car. Because the, the kids from the high school and the people after church leaving their soda can and their you know McDonald's bag or whatever, and he's just going around. And he, he made the confession that in the beginning, he was kind of miffed about that. But over time, he really came to realize, like, who are you doing this for? You know, are you serving me in doing this? And, and he came to realization, I am. I'm... I'm you know, that's why I'm here. It's what I'm doing. I'm serving the Lord. Parking lot needs to be cleaned up. I'll clean up the parking lot. And then the realization came to him that, you know, the Lord's going to reward him, whether he's standing in the pulpit or whether he's cruising around the parking lot picking up soda cans. If you're serving Christ, then what does it matter what that position is? And, and that really, you know, for him, and as I listened to him describe that, it really painted a picture of, like, what am I hung up on? You know, the the work for the Lord is the work for the Lord, whatever it might be. Whatever the Lord gives us an opportunity to do. And But therein again is that idea of, you know, we get all these different slots filled out in our mind. You know, you got to pass your way up here. And you got, you know, deacon somewhere around there. But, oh, if I was just picking up a parking lot, well, that's what. No, no, no. It's, it's all the same, right? Jesus calls people in that illustration to go out in the field and work for him. And then at the end of the day, everybody gets a denarius, right? We all get the same pay. We all get God's grace and mercy. So, you know, look for an opportunity. 
Don't, don't wait for any man, right? If, if it's Christ we're serving, then, you know, step through and serve Christ. However, he makes it possible. We don't have to have a particular thing. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. Uh, David Gusick pointed out that Paul only prayed twice a day, you know, night and day. In other words, continuously. <laughs> He's just constantly praying. And, you know, if Paul wrote that, you know, much earlier in his ministry and, uh, you know, didn't mean it, you know, he was speaking figuratively or generically, I think at this point when he's staring at his own execution, he almost certainly does mean exactly that now. He's praying. Uh, why? Well, because Timothy's going to face the same level of persecution. Uh, the, the hatred for Christianity is growing. The martyrdom of believers is becoming constant at this point in time. So think about that. You've raised up a young man in the ministry and you were all fired up at gung-ho and the persecution was going on then. Paul himself was part of that, but it begins to spread and grow and it's no longer just the Jews. Now Rome is really getting involved and the very, you know, I hate to use the term vocation, but the, the job, the position, the place you've helped put this man is going to lead to his death. He, he's praying for uh, Timothy in, in that light of how intensely he desires this young man to continue to walk with the Lord. So this statement, I thank God whom I serve with, with a pure conscience, um, as my forefathers did, um, you know, that, that's a various mixed bag, right? I mean, some, is, some of his forefathers killed Jesus Christ, right? He himself, as I said, was engaged in the persecution of the church. Uh, he's clarifying here, those forefathers of mine, for instance, Abraham, others who served God out of a purity of heart, David, you know, who was a man after God's own heart, Paul is saying here, with a pure conscience, even though he was a vile persecutor of the church, he's now saying, I serve the Lord here where I am right now out of a pure conscience. Trials and difficulties will do that to you. You start out with a certain commitment to your faith, and as your faith is being ground out, it purifies you. It's very difficult to continue on with any falsehood as the years and the difficulties and the trials pass. You know, if, if you're going to falter, you're going to falter. Uh, the Lord is going to show you where your weaknesses are. He's going to strengthen those things in you that need to be strengthened until you can come to the place where you say, my, my conscience is clear regarding my faith. You know, people may 
persecute you and say things about you, but you are serving from a pure conscience. That's where Paul is, and that's where his prayers uh, come from, you know, night and day. Greatly desiring to see you. Yeah, I will, I'm sure he does. You know, I don't have any prison bars between me and my grandkids in California. You know, the biggest thing that prohibits me from seeing them is the cost of airfare, you know. But within that, I have a, a great longing to see them. Paul has chains that separate him from this young man, and now there is an axe blade that is preventing him. That That is going to be the finality of his relationship with Timothy. When he says, greatly desiring to see you, it's from that place of, oh, what I would give to have you here with me briefly or me there with you. There, there's a great love and a great intensity in this. Greatly desiring to see you. Being mindful of your tears, which I mentioned before, that I may be filled with joy. Oh, man, when, when the separation has been long and the relationship is that emotionally deep, when you finally get to be in someone's presence, the joy that it creates, the undescribable joy that fills your heart. I can't, I can't even express what Paul must be talking about when he's uh, putting these thoughts together for us here. Verse 5, and the joy he's referring to when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. Now, a couple of things about this, both his grandmother and mother are Jewish. We learn from the book of Acts that uh, Timothy's father is a Greek. And uh, that's why uh, Paul met him you know, in Lystra and um, has a relationship that he did with him. It's quite possible. We have to sort of extrapolate uh, here. But it's quite possible that Paul delivered the faith of Jesus Christ to them. That, that they were Jewish and that when Paul delivered to them the message of Christianity, that, you know, it completed their faith. Um, Timothy may have been converted in the first missionary journey that Paul took. Um, he definitely, and I should say, there's a possibility that Timothy actually left with him and went with him on the first missionary journey, but we know for certain per the description that when they were in Lystra and he, Timothy was with his fam family, he definitely went with Paul on the second journey. There's some uncertainty uh, as to whether he left on the first one and traveled with Paul and like came back to visit his family and then left again, or if it was that Paul ministered the gospel to them and they became believers, and then on the second journey, uh, Timothy departed with him. But there's definitely the departure. Point is, Paul is probably uh, entirely or largely responsible for this family coming to faith. 
it, there's there's an assumption that because of the way Paul quotes it, that Timothy's um, father was not a believer, and that's perhaps erroneous. Uh, he may have been a believer. All Paul is saying here is your grandmother and your mother are Jewish, and their faith has been completed in their understanding and their acceptance of Jesus Christ. Okay, um, Timothy's father may have been a convert, you know, a convert also, um, and, and there's good reason to think that probably he was. I mean, it, you know, if if he wasn't a convert, imagine the division that would have been in his home. Okay, you're taking my son and you're leaving, and he's going on a missionary journey for what you know i mean imagine the challenges this would have been presenting and if you're thinking well i'm you know that's totally possible there's no description of that there's no description of the conflict between timothy's father and paul and the faith and uh, the travels and this sort of thing so it's quite possible that uh you know timothy's father was converted to the point here um you know, this nostalgic uh, approach that Paul has, you know, this deep longing, desiring the joy in what? The remembrance of the gen genuine faith that is in you, that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and persuaded is in you also. Uh, the, the joy is not so much over the relationship, the earthly portion of it. It's the relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the depth of spirituality in these people. I think you know what I mean. You've got certain people in your life uh, that, you know, they might not even be part of this fellowship, but you have a deep spiritual connection with them. Your life has been organized and constructed in such a way that, you know, if you ever got the possibility to run into these certain people that are, you know, a brother or a sister to you in the faith, it would be deeply moving to you. This family uh, fits a big role uh, in that regard in Paul's life. And uh, that's what he's expressing here. He continues that same thought by saying, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Now here's the thing. This has been... Uh, preached and taught from many different angles, this, this passage of Scripture. And I just want to caution us uh, here because the next statement talking about God not giving us a spirit of fear, people couple that together and say, you know, clearly Timothy was a very timid man and Paul has to do all of this stuff and, you know, encourage him and build him up. And Possible, possible, but let's be honest. Uh, which one of us does not fade in our intensity? You know, Paul uh, talks about, uh, you know, despairing of life itself. You know, we, we do have to stir things up. You need to make sure you understand that about yourself, that, that from time to time, you're going to have to kick up the coals, that, that you're going to have to, you know, dig into, uh, you know, like a bed of coals. If you've ever been around... A campfire, you know, most of us, I think, probably have. And, uh, you know, you think it's 
pretty much gone out. Maybe you feel some heat coming off it, but there's clearly no orange, no real. But you turn that over with a shovel or a poker or a you know, big stick out of the woods, and you discover, oh, there's a great deal of fire and fuel here, and all i got to do is add to this a little bit. Okay, you know, if life and your spiritual walk has gotten flat again and kind of dark and you can't really stir it up, it's a, it's a necessary part of being a Christian, the continual stirring up. You know, you got to add fuel to this thing. If you have it in your mind, like, oh, well, I accepted Christ and, um, you know, that should just be a raging inferno in my life uh, until what? I pass away and enter his presence or something. That's not how it works. You know, the normalcy of life will quench the flames. You know, the day-to-day mundane processes will flatten things out. You need to dig into your faith, right? Think about what Jesus is having to say to the church at Laodicea of how they've become lukewarm. And he's saying, you know, I hold this against you. You've left your first love, the most important love of your life. You need to return. Everybody needs to hear that. Every single believer in history needs to hear that and and, and be encouraged in it, right? Because there's a discouragement in, I've kind of faded. You know, I know I shouldn't have. I know other Christians don't. <laughs> I'm less of a Christian, you know, and, the, and there is that mentality. And it's, it's just not true. Uh, you know, we are human and the flesh and all you contend with will dampen things and we've got to stir it back up and we've got to get active and we've got to add the fuel to the fire and we've got to you know fan the flame and get things working again so it is that paul is saying to this young man right he's he's departing from the scene imagine how discouraging it might be to you to have the person who mentored you in the faith get killed Paul knows that's coming. And he's encouraging this young man in the sense of you're going you're gonna to have to, you, you know, right now and at other times, you're going to have to stir your faith up and, and really fuel this fire to continue with the Lord the way that you should. So here I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Now the laying on of hands I think is important and significant. Uh, there's many different applications through the scripture. Um, I think that probably the most poignant uh, place uh, that, that we see it is when Jesus puts his hands on the leper and says, be cleansed. That man has not been touched for however long he's had leprosy. And Imagine the emotion that would run through you when at first you realize you've got leprosy and you suddenly are, you know, having to warn people and keeping people away from you and the time has gone by and the decay has set in and now you're getting to the point where you just wish you could touch somebody or they could touch you. And you have to settle into, no, it's it's unhealthy and... And uh, it's forbidden, so socially and emotionally and 
physically this this can't happen and you become this isolated figure and along comes Jesus and just reaches out his hand and grabs a hold there must have been uh, a lurching away no no I mean have you seen it yet due to COVID-19 have you mistakenly gotten inside somebody's social distancing bubble and had them lurch away from you right and we don't we don't think of it so much but you know the idea what well, wouldn't it be great for somebody to just announce you know on every public forum uh, hey we discovered that uh, COVID-19 no longer exists you can all go back to doing what you were doing before go to work go to school go to imagine the relief in our culture to suddenly be in contact with somebody. We are vile, despicable sinners, and Jesus Christ reached straight out and touched us. Just like the leper. Just laid his hands right on us and said, this one belongs to me. That type of acceptance, where someone who you think is better than you, above you, beyond you. you know, how, how do we want to relay that? Well, how do you want to illustrate that? Some Hollywood star, you know, that... You just can't even believe you're in their presence. little, And they just reach right over, grab a hold of you and say, let's get a picture together. Pull you right in. You know, someone that, that is beyond your measure and mark in life who just says, yeah, this one, me and them. The Lord has done that for us. And, and Paul is saying, you know, I laid my hands upon you for this gift. Uh, the idea that Christ laid his hands on Paul, someone that murdered Christians, right? Uh, the idea that Paul then laid his hands on Timothy, the, the passing down of our faith, the direct transfer. You know, not that there's some magical or mystical way of doing that, putting your hands on somebody, but the idea of acceptance, embracing, belonging to. That's what the Lord is illustrating here. That gift came to you with laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. And see, this is where they go, oh, see, Timothy was a very timid guy. Possible. Quite possible. And we can teach all of those messages we want to from here. I don't think it's inappropriate. But what in this setting would make Timothy so fearful? They're about to kill his mentor. Paul is going to lose his life. Right? If the government was about to kill my pastor, I'd be very fearful about what's going on here in my church and in my circumstances. If he's not safe, I'm not safe. That's going to be my immediate thought and reaction to the circumstances. Here, Paul is saying, you've got to stir this gift up. You don't let Rome, you don't let Nero, you know, rain on your parade and put this fire out. You stir this thing up. You fuel it. Don't function out of fear. Don't let what's happening to me. And he talks about that later. God's not given us a spirit of fear, right? Think of it this way, right? Think of it as an actual object. You know, I don't know. Little can that says spirit of fear. <laughs> and... You know, you've got it in your hand. And I come along and say, where'd you get that? And you say, I have this because of my faith. We're being persecuted and Paul's about to be tormented. I say, wait a minute. God did not give you that. 
right? And I can wrench it out of your hand and say, that's not from the Lord. The spirit of fear isn't from God. And then the obvious question, where is it from? Well, we could say the devil, and certainly that applies. But I think that the first thing to recognize is the weakness of our flesh. That we are not strong in and of our own. Right? We've had that thing we used as a security blanket. And now it's being ripped out of our hands. And we're starting to scream and yell about, no, I can't live without that. And the answer is, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Christ did not give you this thing that you have to cling to. He's given you himself. And you can hold to that. He didn't give you a spirit of fear. You're going to take Paul away from me? Right? You're going to take my spiritual mentor away? Yep. And you're going to be okay. You're going to learn to depend upon Jesus Christ. You're going to learn to depend upon your maker is what you're going to do. That's what Timothy is facing right now. Not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Okay? Now, uh, one of the things to recognize about this whole thing, what's, what's Timothy's ministry, right? It's to preach the gospel. It's to share with others. It's to help them grow and to be strong as Christians. So this power that is fueled by love for God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, is going to empower him to carry on and do his ministry, to preach and share and encourage the saints. So, you know, understand that a big part of what Paul is saying is continue on. You know, your sound mind, this is the place where we're always attacked. Paul talks about the weapons of our warfare and how they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down of imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and taking into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. All of that pertains to the mind. The mind is what comes under attack. And we get thinking things that if we just took the thought out of our head and put it down on paper and the next one and the next one and the next one and then looked at the Word of God and said, are these things true? <laughs> Does this line up with the Word of God? And so very often what we find is not at all. You know, we, we've got these imaginations. We've got these fearful things that encapsulate our mind. You know, just take this thought right here in this passage of Paul is going to die. Timothy's going to be left on his own. Is Paul, is Timothy going to shrivel up and die? Certainly not. Does that mean that Timothy's ministry should end? Absolutely not. You know, does it mean that he should change his ministry and do it in a much more secretive way so that they could protect? No. Stay with this idea of courage and strength and power and love in that and and a sound mind. You know, the 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 issue of letting your mind be overwhelmed by these things is exactly what you need to hold to. Now in verse 8, accompanied with that, right? Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Uh, the one that put Paul in prison. We, we tend to do that, right? We see 
somebody do a certain thing and they get injured, we go, okay, note to self, don't do that. Instead, in this situation, Paul is telling Timothy, stay the course. You're seeing that I'm in prison. You see I'm about to be put to death. Don't be fearful. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Continue to preach what you have been told to preach. Nor of my, uh, of me, his prisoner, right? Oh, man, Paul must be a failure, right? Christians were thought of as a failure. And if Christians are a failure, then Paul must be the failure of failures, right? Because everybody knows in all of history that you don't get put to death by the government because you were a winner. You're a failure if if you come to the point of execution. You know, whether people are going to say that outright or not, that is most definitely the mindset. That you took a wrong turn somewhere. You're way off course. And all, all of us should study your life from the perspective of never take any of these steps. And Paul is saying to Timothy, no, you want to take every step that I'm taking right now. You want to follow this program. Whether it costs you your life or not, this is the course you want to run right here. It's contrary to everything that our minds would naturally do. So here he's, he's telling him, you don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. This is so contradictory to what the church is trying to do today. You know, we are trying to be the coolest hipster everything accepted by everybody. You know, the, the church model is exactly opposite to this right now. You know, you just you gotta you gotta you gotta be the, you gotta have the best band, the best sound, the best lights, and you gotta have the best and 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 you in the community everybody needs to love you and you need to be just warmly accepted and be involved in every social network, everything that's going on. You know, that's how you'll know you're a success. Not according to the scripture. Not, into, not according to our Lord and Savior. Not according to his apostles. Not according to this man speaking to his protege. You want to follow me straight into the jaws of death. That's what you want to do. That's what he's being told. It's a tremendous testimony that's being uh, relayed to him you know, right here. So, so let me read this cluster again. Therefore, I remind you to stir up back in verse 6 the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Follow me in all of this because this was the course that was set out before time began. And yes, time had a beginning. 
as bizarre as it is for us to think about, there was a place in history that had no time. And God set this as the course that Paul should take and everyone who follows Jesus Christ. Be rejected by the world. That's interesting to me. That before time even had the button pushed and the seconds started ticking away, God said, this is the way my followers should conduct themselves. That's a, that's a remarkable thought, you guys. That, you know, imagine, right? You've gone places, you've, you've traveled, you've, you know, had family vacations or different things. There's a lot of planning involved, right? You know, I mean... You pretty much know what road you're going to take if you know your destination. You start thinking about like how long you're going to be on the road and you know what snacks should be packed and what clothes should go with you. You know, you start, you know, we go uh, sometimes down to Maryland for pastors' conferences in the spring, and, and it's so close to that transitionary time period that like for weeks coming up to when we depart, we're looking at what's the weather going to be like. Right, because you don't want to pack and get down there and have like all jeans and realize like it's going to be 85 degrees. You know, you, you you plan according to it, so you set a course for your destination long before you depart. And and the Lord is saying that before time began, this is how He wanted them to align themselves. So this is not a matter of. Things got kind of screwed up here along the way, and it just turns out that as Christians, uh, you guys are going to be hated, so live with it. right? He's telling you so that you can prepare yourself, so, so that you're not in the place where the world despises you and you're being persecuted and you're thinking like, oh man, how did I get here? You can, you can pack accordingly. You can prepare your heart and mind for this atmosphere, this spiritual atmosphere that is being set out here. You're watching a lot of the church right now flail to try and appease the government. Oh, we'll keep our social distance. We'll wear our masks. We'll wash our hands. We'll, we won't meet. You know what? We'll close church. Listen, they're going to hate us. They're going to persecute us. They're going to say all kinds of vile things about us. We're getting together for church, okay? This is what we're doing right now. The few of us that are here have chosen. Encourage your brothers and sisters to be in fellowship. Even though, right, Dr. Fauci, even though Nero is forbidding Paul to preach, even though Nero is a don't live in the spirit of fear. This is not what we have been given. This is not what we're called to, right? Of love, right? Now, you don't love your neighbor. If you go hang out with other people, you could kill them. No, that's not true. Well, how do I know that? Because I have a sound mind. I am following Christ's leading. I have heard him say in the scripture, do not forsake the gathering together of the saints as some have done. We need to be, you know, they go, oh, well, I watch online and I, I've learned that I enjoy that as much as going to church. Yeah, but 
The Scripture says you need to be joined together with the saints, right? Surely you've seen Legos, right? You probably own a bunch. You've at least stepped on one at 4 o'clock in the morning and just hated the whole world because it crushed your heel. Legos interlock, fitted together. That's exactly what Hebrews meant. It doesn't, you can't interlock Legos if you've got one at your house and you've got one at your house and you've got one at your house and we all get on Zoom together and everybody can see one another's Legos and we go, there, we fit them all together. Mine would interlock with yours this way. And no, no, no. No, you have to get together and interlock them. The big thing about what's missing in that whole social media aspect of what has been created in the church, and let's be clear, the government has created that. Not Christians, not the Scripture, not Jesus Christ, not His Holy Spirit. The government has created that mindset. What is missing is what I can contribute to you and what you can contribute to me. The interaction, the interlocking is what is necessary and commanded by our Lord and Savior. Our Lord and Savior. Our King. Right? We are of a kingdom and we have a king and he has commanded that we be together. There's something desperately wrong with the church acting like Jesus is my best friend. Okay, Jesus is your friend, true, but he's also your king. He is your Lord. He is your savior. And he has commanded us to be together and to be in fellowship with one another. And honestly, you know, here's Timothy saying, I weep over the fact that I desire to see you. And I can say that's true of the body of Christ and myself and you guys, right? Remember that first Sunday we finally got back together? We'd only been apart for a few weeks, right? Everybody was in a panic and, okay, we'll be obedient and we separate and we realize, no, nah, that's not what the Lord's called us to. And, we, and remember the joy of being able to see one another and touch one another and be around one another and hug one another, right? All of that's against the law, by the way. Just like it was right here. Just like it was forbidden by this government that we're reading about right here. We are called to this. The Lord has called us. We have to, we have to find the balance, you guys, of being obedient to the law and to the government and being obedient to our Lord and King. And in this case, it requires us to be together. So don't be intimidated is the message, right? Not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. You know, we have this testimony and embrace what others have who have, who has saved and called us with a holy calling. Verse 9, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Verse 10, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What a powerful message 
for a man who's about to be put to death. This is what I'm about to experience is nothing. It's nothing. They're going to lay the axe blade to my neck. No big deal. Right? Oh, they might come through the door and issue us a fine. No big deal. The Lord will handle those circumstances also. We, we are called to be in fellowship together. And this message is Paul saying to all of Christian history ahead of him, don't be intimidated by anything that would create fear in you and keep you from obeying your Lord and Savior. It's now been revealed that the appearing of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. You have been appointed to your role. I have been appointed to my role, and we need to fulfill those roles and not be intimidated by anything that would try to prohibit us from fulfilling those things. Not even coronavirus. We need to fulfill what Christ has called us to. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Hey, listen, we may suffer. This is just a precursor, what we're currently in. There may be much greater suffering ahead of us. If we're wilting away from the faith right now under this little bit of pressure, what is going to happen, right? Okay, how about this, you guys? Maybe there's going to be some time that transpires here. If your children watch you wilt under this, under this level of pressure, what's going to happen when they're being persecuted under greater things? If, if, if I fail and fall away at this point, when, my, when I'm being persecuted later more intensely, or if my children are or my grandkids are, and I haven't set that example out to them, that, that this is what Paul is doing, right? I'm about to die here. And I'm telling you, Timothy, how to stay the course and hold the line and, and follow what your Lord and Savior has told you to do. There are those that we're handing the torch to. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Listen, he knows there's no possibility that he's going to escape this execution. And he's saying, I know the Lord can fulfill these things. We right now probably are not going to suffer anything for our gathering together and meeting and being a body of Christians. Nothing at all. If we were to face some level of criticism or correction or, you know, fines or persecution or whatever, you know, we have directly connected churches that are currently being fined millions of dollars by the governments of their state. Millions of dollars. Men that I have worked with personally 
not not claiming any of their glory out of myself, but you know, I'm just saying it's not that far separated from us. You know, Carson, who went through the school of ministry at Calvary Bangor that I worked with hand in hand on a daily basis, is right now their church is facing millions of dollars in fines. Carson himself has tens of thousands of dollars as the associate pastor, the assistant pastor of the church, and the his senior pastor have tens of thousands of dollars of fines issued directly to them in their name by their state and their government. We don't have any of that hanging over our heads. We need to stand up and obey our Lord and Savior. This, this is a very simple, basic, easy test that has been thrown at us. And, and honestly, if, if we are faltering away from it, we need to seriously consider what's going on in our heart. You know, with that, I wouldn't say feel condemned. I would go back to what Paul said uh, when he said to Timothy, you need to stir up the faith that is in you. Dig deep and find whether there is not a burning thing in your heart that wants to obey the Lord. Add the fuel to it, you know. Get in the car, turn the key on, and go. Be in fellowship where Christ has called you to. It's important that the church understand this. It's important that we hold to it. So uh, we don't really have time uh, to move on uh, this evening. We'll pick up at verse 13 uh, next week. But, but read ahead and really think about what Paul is saying to Timothy in, in this final letter about the strength of faith and the determination to stay with and hold to Christ. Uh, because uh, you know it's 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 significant and important in our culture. We we are. I was going to say adrift. It's much more than that. You know there are people and organizations within our culture that are hacking away at the things that we have been anchored to for centuries, and they're setting us adrift into the craziest circumstances uh, the most diabolical mindset and you know political atmosphere and spiritual atmosphere that we're being pushed as a nation out into it's going to take strong people such as us to to just stand the ground not not be crazy radical you know uh, further destabilizing our culture, but able to just stand and say, no, I'm anchored to Jesus Christ. This is my faith. And I, I'm not going to be moved, right? Uh, you know, the man who hears what Jesus says and immediately abandons it, forgets it or abandons it, right? He'll be like the man who built his house on sand. The storms come and the whole thing comes crashing down. We're watching a lot of that right now crashing down people who've you know professed faith caving in the person who builds their house upon the rock their life upon jesus christ might be a simple one right might not be overly ornate <laughs> but it's steadfast it's grounded in something that's immovable our lord our savior who set these things out before time began so let your heart and mind be stayed upon him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.